Good morning, Journey Church. You guys look awesome this morning. So good to see you. I want to uh, uh, commend you. I was out this morning a few, a few minutes looking at our Pray for Woodford map, and uh, I noticed that there's a lot more green that's showing up. And uh, this is, if you don't, uh, aren't aware, we have an effort this summer to pray for all of uh, Versailles, the city of Versailles. And we're asking you guys to adopt certain areas, streets, if you would. Many of you have done so. And uh, if you, uh, when you get those completed, let Tony know, and then we'll go ahead and uh, uh, outline those in green so we know what streets have been covered. And if you haven't, you're not involved in that yet, we'd love to have you jump on and do that. Uh, there's a, just a, out there on the stand, there's a map. You can put your street. We're encouraging people to own their street, pray for their street or their community. So we hope that you'll, uh, you'll help us out with that. Uh, we love our community. We want to pray for it, see what God does through that. Guys, we're in a study of a book of 1 Corinthians, and today we're going to be talking a bit about building. And I've always loved to build things. Uh, when I was a kid, I was pretty notorious for tearing things up. And I t- told my parents that if I could tear things up, I'd figure out how they work, and then I could probably put them back together again. So through the years, I've learned how to, how to build. When I was 16 years old, I worked with my grandfather, who was a carpenter, and we built an addition on the home my parents live in. Uh, that was a pretty sweet time. Uh, one of my uh, hopes in heaven is that my grandfather and I can build, uh, build something together. That would be a great goal for me. But uh, after that, the interest kind of lay dormant for several years until uh, in Indiana several years ago, I met a, a guy, a friend there who was a builder, and he challenged me to help him build a couple of two-room buildings uh, uh, for a Christian school that we had started there. And I was pretty much hooked after that. In 1994, I built a home in Indiana, and uh, we lived there a few years. And, uh, and I've done several mission trips uh, through the years. And then in 2014, I got a chance to help build the house that we live in now. So I love to build. I think building is one of the most uh, uh, fulfilling things you can imagine because you can see something come from nothing. So I just love to do it because of that. But my most memorable mission trip building was in Bulls Gap, Tennessee. And that's somewhere deep in Appalachia. Uh, anybody know where Bulls Gap is? Just by the way, nobody. I know why. It's a very, very small town. But we took a trip there several years ago through the church here. And it was really frustrating trips in a lot of ways because um, of the organization we're working with just seemed like uh, they wanted to present a lot of challenge to us. We were limited on supplies and we had to make do with what we had. So we would order supplies one day and we would never get what we ordered. So we had to figure out how to use what we got uh, for the project that we had. But the project we were working on was an older home which had a bathroom that had been added at some point after the home had been built. But one corner of the bathroom, and again, picture a very small bathroom, one corner of the bathroom was about a foot lower than the other corner. Just picture that. Now, I want to tell you, the tub drained really well. It happened to be slanting that way. But it was hard to stand up in there, to be honest with you. So they really had a problem. Uh, And so uh, we found the problem pretty quickly. When the bathroom was added, they had taken uh, tied onto the rest of the house, except in one corner, that low corner there. And there for the foundation of that bathroom, they had placed a brick, uh, not a block, but a brick, a little red brick on the ground and had started building on top of that brick. And over time, uh, you can imagine the weight of that bathroom and the movement of the ground and everything had pressed the, the brick deeper and deeper into the ground. It was all setting on the ground. And so our goal was to shore up and put in a new foundation for it. Now, the family was awesome. They were incredible and they were thankful for our help. But the organization we were working with 
for some reason wouldn't let us jack the house up. Uh, picture this, we're gonna put a foundation in, in this room like this. And I had a few conversations with their rep about how ridiculous it would be to put a foundation under this house with the bathroom slanted like it was, but they had rules and they refused to let us jack it up. But one day as we left for the day, I took the homeowner aside and I told him that we couldn't jack the house up. But I said, if we come back in the morning and the house has been leveled up, that room's been leveled up, we're gonna put you a good foundation in. And evidently he spent most of the evening uh, jacking that house up with car jacks or whatever he used, I don't know. The next morning we get there and it was level and he got a real foundation. Uh, that was a pretty memorable trip for a lot of reasons. Well, today we're going to study the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about building a little bit, which is one of my favorite topics again. And this book was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in the city of Corinth. It was an ancient city, doesn't exist anymore except in ruins. Uh, but this, there was a strong city and a strong church there at one point. And in uh, chapter 3, Paul is describing the Christian life in this book with three metaphors. He talks about the Christian life being a field. We talked about that last week where some people plant some water and some harvest. Today we're going to talk about it being a building and also a little bit about it being a temple. The gospel, which is placed, the good news of Jesus, is placed in a person's heart and something happens after that. Something occurs. There's some growth. There's some movement that has to happen, whether we picture it as a, a plant growing and producing fruit or whether a house going up or a temple that's been put together, whatever it may be, we understand that a lot of people have a hand in that happening, but God is the one who makes it grow. That was the point from last week. Today, we want to talk about the Christian life as a building based on the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, where Paul says, you are God's building. Now, Paul is writing to us, so I want you to take this personal, not something written 2,000 years ago, but God telling you today by saying, you are God's building. And this is not the church building. When we think about building and church, we usually think about a structure that we're, that we're in, and we're blessed with a great building that we're trying to get paid off by May. Uh, by the way, just a reminder of our release initiative, but we have a great building here. But the Bible doesn't mention church buildings. It only talks about the fact that they might use a house or the, the synagogue of that day to worship. No mention of a church building, that's not the main thing. So we're not talking about a structure, we're talking about our spiritual life that we are building. You are God's building. You are part of what God is building. And the language here is that God is using, or that is, uh, Paul uses, comes from the perspective of the builder. So I want you to understand that you are a builder. You're not a renter or a tenant. Tenant, uh, You are a homeowner and you are a builder. So understand that you have some obligation and responsibility. If you are a believer, you are expected to be a builder in God's church. It's important to get that down before we go. So let's pick it up, 1 Corinthians chapter three. By the grace God's given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul here is referring back to the previous verses where he had been talking about other people involved. Remember last week we said there was a little bit of jealousy sometime in the church because people were saying, well, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos. Paul said it doesn't matter who does the work, just so God gets the glory. And Paul reminds them that he had planted the church there in Corinth, so he had laid the foundation of the spiritual building, the church there. Now other people were building on this foundation that Paul had laid, but he wanted to make sure 
that they were continuing the building as he had started. And so he says, each one should build with care. But the foundation he knew was right because the foundation was built on Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel. And then he goes on to say that Jesus is the cornerstone. I think we sang about that a few moments ago. And also Paul talks about this in other places. Ephesians chapter two, he's even more specific about this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So this idea, this theme is throughout Paul's writings and others as well about Jesus being the cornerstone of our spiritual building. Now I wanna tell you, I have let, poured a few foundations, but I've never laid a stone foundation. Never done that. But I have been told that the cornerstone is the most important stone in it. Because the cornerstone is the first stone that's laid of the building. And that day a builder would search uh, diligently to find just the right, the perfect stone that was level and square to start the building process. The total weight of the building, I'm told, is kind of designed to rest on this particular stone, which if it were to be removed, it would collapse the whole structure. The cornerstone also keeps the, is the key to keeping the wall straight because whenever the builder would lay that foundation, they would then take sidings along the edges of the cornerstone to design the rest of the building. If the cornerstone was set properly, if it was square and level, the stonemasons would then be assured that all the other corners of the building would be at the appropriate angles as well. You know, I don't know if you have done a lot of building, but you know, once you get a building out of square, you're gonna be fighting it all the way up. And that's why the foundation is the most important part. If it's out, if it's off, uh, it's gonna be a problem all the way to the, to the roof. So that, that's important. The foundation is key. And so the cornerstone became a symbol for that which held life together. Even in the Old Testament, God declared to Isaiah that he would establish a cornerstone that would never fail, a stone that could be trusted because it would be proven, uh, tried and proven to be precious and sure. That's the language that uses there. In the New Testament, the writers recognized that Jesus was that cornerstone that God had promised through Isaiah. And, and Jesus himself said of himself, did you ever read the scripture, never read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So he's saying that Jesus rejected by the builders of that spiritual, the Jewish house, they had rejected Jesus, but now he becomes the chief cornerstone of the church. So the cornerstone shapes and designs and determines the foundation itself. You know, when you build something and create building plans, the foundation is the first thing that you do, obviously, that you lay the foundation first. And then the foundation, based on the cornerstone, will then determine the design, the style, the size, the integrity of the entire building, and also will provide for pressure points and stress points in the building. Can't overstate the importance of the foundation. And let me just say this, in your spiritual life, Jesus is to be your firm foundation, and you cannot overstate the importance of having Jesus in your life 
to begin with, that he is the foundation that you build your life on and also to build the church on as well. Not only your spiritual life, but the church as well. Now, once the foundation is laid, then you have to build, you begin to build. And again, let me say the immediate context in the scripture is that we are building the house of God, which is composed of different people. And there will be all different kinds of people built into God's house. You are being built into God's house. The character, the integrity of your life is a part of God's house. How strong is God's house that you are a part of based on you? But there also is another personal context to this as well. And that is, what are you building in your spiritual house or your spiritual life? What are you building in? What kind of materials are you using? Let's read on, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each, man's, each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So here's the thing, whenever you build something, you have to decide how, what kind of quality you're gonna build it in, out of. You're gonna decide how much you're going to spend. You're gonna decide if you're gonna cut corners, and if you are, where do you cut corners? Are you gonna do it on the cheap? Are you gonna do it as cheaply as possible, or are you gonna do it for it to last for a long time? May I remind you of an old story you probably heard when you were a child about the three little pigs. The three little pigs, remember the little pigs? One pig went out, gathered straw, built a house. One pig built his house out of sticks and the other pig built his house out of uh, brick, right? And if you remember the story didn't go very well, the ending didn't go very well for the three little pigs, the two pigs that built out of straw and sticks because what happened, guys? When the wolf came along, he blew, huffed and he puffed and he blew it down and they got eaten, right? I bet you never heard, uh, thought you'd hear the three pigs on Sunday morning, right? But I want you to think about those guys, you know, because it matters what you build your life out of. It matters the quality of what you build because one day it's gonna be tested. And whenever, and Paul gives two lists here in, in the scripture of building materials. First of all, he talks about people who build with gold, silver, and costly stones. That's a very high-end house, right, that we would think about today. And by the way, any house today you're building is going to be costly, right? But he also talks about another material list. He says that there's people build wood, hay, or straw. Not exactly, two of them anyway, are not exactly the best thing to build your house out of, hay and straw. The first list is pretty permanent. The second list is basically pretty temporary. But you know what? The, the lists are determined by how they stand up to the test of fire. That really is the determining factor. How are they gonna be impacted or affected by fire? Paul says it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So this is the building inspector that comes along. If you've ever built a home, you know the building inspector is uh, not always the most welcome person, but they're always gonna be on site for your foundation, for your framing, you know, your HVAC and everything, electrical and then final inspection, right? So the building inspector comes along and he looks at everything that you've done. And this is gonna be a pretty tough building inspector because he's gonna look at your house and he's gonna say, well, it looks good. Let's see if it'll burn. 
You imagine the building inspector come along trying to burn your house down to see if it was built well? That's what's going to happen. That's how you're going to be expected. I'm glad our homes don't have to pass that test, right? But when we build something, we ought to make sure that it will endure. One of the methods used in manufacturing is called destructive testing. Destructive testing, and that's pretty much self-explanatory. But what does it take for this product to bend, break, or stress? How tough is this product? Will it last when people actually use it or even abuse it? Can a product withstand the pressure of use or will it fall apart? And Paul is saying here that if you build your life on Christ as the foundation, and then if you build with the right materials in your life, then you'll be able to stand the test of time throughout this life, but even more importantly, into eternity. Because one day there will be a day of testing for every life, every life. The Bible refers to this day quite often as the day, the day, which tells us it is going to be a big day for everybody. It is the judgment day where every life will be tested with fire to determine if it will survive. And you know, there's, a, uh, there's no specific list of permanent things that, and versus temporary things in your life. But the things that will survive are the things of God, the things you do for him, and the things that will burn up are the things of this world. And see, our world, our culture has it totally backwards because we think everything of this life is so important. That's what we work for. And if we have time, we deal with the spiritual things. But the reality is the spiritual things of God are the only things that will last and endure the test of time. And Paul goes on to say, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Such a vivid word picture here when you think about it. The immediate context is that Paul has laid this foundation of Christ for the church in Corinth. Apollos and others were building the church with people who were the building materials there. Some would be true converts, converts, Others would not survive the day of judgment. However, the failure of the converts would not mean failure for the builder. That's what he was saying there. Might be poor materials, going to be people in there that are not going to endure the fire of testing. Every person is responsible for themselves and for their work. You know, as church leaders, we are responsible for leading and shepherding the church of Jesus Christ. The Bible commissions us with that, but every member has to stand before the Lord themselves. I will not be standing between you and God on the day of judgment. You will be standing before him yourself. But there's also a message here, I think, to all of us as to the quality of our work for Christ. Because you are building your spiritual life or house, and one day it will be inspected or tested by fire. I don't think any of us totally understand all about the way we're going to be judged. But if our lives as Christians have been consumed totally by the things of this world, by gaining things, getting ahead here, then one day all those things will be worthless and all of them will be, will be destroyed by fire. That's what the Bible teaches. Or maybe you built your foundation of Christ but you are mixing the building material, some things of God and some things of this world, fire will distinguish between them. And Paul said that the believer would be saved because you have the foundation of Jesus, but like a person who escapes a fire in their house, just barely getting out with the clothes in their back, 
passing through a, a, a wall of flame to safety. To get that visual picture is what he's saying there. We might also say in our language today, we might say that someone is escaping by the skin of their teeth, which by the way is also in the Bible, in the book of Job, where he talks about being saved by the skin of, of his teeth. That's a very small margin when you think about it. So the important thing is to recognize that one day we're going to be held to account. We're one day we're going to be judged. But let me ask you this. When it comes down to the idea of being saved with the skin of your teeth, is that really how you want to go into eternity? Is that really how we want to go there? Just hoping, just barely eking in? Just barely getting in is going to be enough, but I, I don't really want to smell like smoke when I get there to you. You know, when I was a kid in school, uh, growing up, we always had wood fires. And, and every morning before we left the house, my job was to fix the fire. And so I felt like when I got to school, every day I smelled like smoke. I really felt like that affected my romance life quite a bit in middle school and high school. But uh, I never wanted to smell like smoke. I don't want to get to heaven smelling like smoke, all right? I want to get there, but I don't want to smell like smoke escaping through the plane. I love that visual picture there. Let's do more than that. Let's look for the reward that he talks about. Let's focus here for a few moments on the statement of Paul, which is fascinating. This statement, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. You know, you hear about builders getting a certain reward, a, a award for this home they built or design or something like that. But it's interesting to talk about the rewards that God might have for his people who are faithful. Instead of settling for the minimum, let's just see what might be out there. The Bible says that we are saved by the grace of God through our faith in Christ Jesus. But it also talks quite a bit about the fact there'll be rewards for those who are faithful. Now, what will the reward be? Well, you know, it might just be the satisfaction of seeing our work for God um, withstand the judgment day, that what I did for the Lord was successful and fulfilled and, 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 and gave God glory. Or maybe it will see those people that we help lead to the Lord there. Maybe the reward will be to see uh, our children or our neighbors or the people that we had some influence on at some point. Or maybe seeing the treasures that we've laid up in heaven during our life here. Isn't that a fascinating thing to think about? I'd love to do some more study on that to find out the treasures we laid up in heaven. Will there be an economy in heaven? where there will be people with lots of treasures and people with very little because they spent all their treasure on the earth on themselves and in heaven, there'll be an economy there. I I don't know, who knows, but the Bible commands us to do that, doesn't it? But the whole idea of rewards in heaven is pretty fascinating. And I have to be honest to tell you that I'm not one of those people that works and serves thinking about the reward at the end of the day. You know, I do like to get paid at some point, but, but that's not always my... My, my motive for doing things. And I've never thought about receiving a reward other than being in heaven and seeing Jesus. I don't think I've ever done anything here upon the earth that would probably be deserving of a reward or anything. But there's a great deal in the Bible about rewards for those who have been faithful and sacrificial. It's interesting, they're also called crowns. Reward or crowns in the Bible. And they're about how we've lived our lives based on the foundation of Jesus. So I want to take a few moments and look at the five crowns or rewards in the Bible because uh, maybe it would be some challenge as a motivation to you to think about what are the rewards maybe that you might be able to look forward to. There's five of them mentioned in the Bible. The first one is the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. 
This is for those who long for and look forward to the appearing of Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which, is the, Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all those who have longed for his appearing. For those who long for and anticipate and are prepared for the coming of the Lord, I know people are saying, man, I just wish the Lord would come back today. And a lot of people say, I sure hope the Lord doesn't come back today. But if you're one of those people that long for the return of the Lord, uh, this seems to be a crown in mind. Are you ready and longing for the return of Jesus? The second is a crown of life. And this is for those who have been faithful through trial, sufferings, and maybe even martyred into death. This is not one that you're going to long for a lot, martyrs' death, but there will be people who will receive the martyr crown, right? Revelation chapter 2 says, do not be afraid of what you will suffer. Listen, the devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You'll be in trouble for 10 days. Be faithful unto death, then I will give you the crown of life. So this is what is called the martyr's crown. Thirdly is the crown incorruptible or imperishable. And this is for those who discipline, deny themselves, and endure. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The crown imperishable, incorruptible that we should run for. Thankfully, uh, it's not a competition among us. We all can get this crown, but we have to run the race faithfully. Thirdly, fourthly, is the crown of glory. This is for those who are servant shepherds of followers of Christ. First Peter chapter five, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So this is for those who lead, shepherd, and care for the body of Christ. And then fifthly, the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. This is for those who have been a part of evangelism and soul winning. It's also called the soul winner's crown. Philippians chapter 4, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now, those are five crowns, and you can probably Google them and find them yourself, but, but these crowns may be symbolic, I don't know, and we know, but we know that our major goal in life is that we want to make sure that we get to heaven itself. But why not be obedient? Why not be, um, uh, go above and beyond and carry out the mission that, that Christ has left to us? as much as we possibly can. Let's not settle for the, the, meet, uh, the lowest level that we can get by with. We know that our works don't save us, I'm not suggesting it at all, but we are saved for good works. We are saved for good works and we do need to lay up treasures in heaven, not focusing solely about here on the earth. Because here's the one thing we do know, the theme runs throughout the entire Bible, that one day we will stand before God, the righteous judge, and we will give an account of our lives. I don't know how all that's gonna play out. It would take a long time if it were one by one, Robert, right? But we do have eternity, but I don't think it'll take eternity just to be judged. There will be a day of judgment and our lives will be laid out before our Father. What is it in your life that will burn up? What is it that will burn up 
And what is it that will survive the fire? You don't want to be the guy that hears, depart from me, I never knew you. And you also don't want to hear the things that you gave your heart and your time and your energy and your money to, all those things that you live life for, that you were obsessed with, those things are garbage and they're going to burn up. I don't want to know that. I don't want to hear that. I want to spend my life on the things that have no value at all. And I think a lot of us are going to hear that and we're going to see the things that meant so much here mean nothing in heaven. And hopefully, if we're built on Christ, even though everything we may have gained is destroyed, we're going to be saved by the skin of our teeth. And what we do want to hear is this, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm now going to make you ruler over many things. Here's your reward. Enter into the glory of your father. That's what we want to hear. And all of that is going to be determined by the way that we live our lives right here and right now. That's so important. Now, I hope that you begin to reflect and think about what you're building into your spiritual life. But, but more than anything, today, today, your decision needs to be, have I given my life to Christ? And if not, what do I need to do to make that happen? And I would love to have that conversation with you this morning, or you can contact me later, whatever it may be, because one day there will be a day of judgment for every one of us. There is no doubt about that. That's clear, even though some things are a little fuzzy, rewards maybe, I don't know, but it is clear that one day we will be judged. My hope and prayer is that you're prepared for that day because it could be any day. And the day of judgment could be our day, this could be our day, our last day. So we must be prepared for that day. If we're gonna be up front here, I'm gonna be here available, uh, Zach is here, Tony. Um, Georgia is available to pray with you. We'd love to just talk to you about your next step on your journey or pray for whatever's going on in your life. If you want to just come up on your own and pray and uh, maybe thank God for the life you have and the people who built into your life, whatever it may be this morning, let's make this a time of prayer and response to our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, your word is so visual. And Lord, uh, uh, thank you that we have a chance to be built into your house, that we are, are part of your house. And Lord, may we be um, a building material that is eternal, that lasts. Father, help us not to be the straw or hay uh, that is gone in a flash. Father, I pray that all of us, as we think about building our spiritual homes, Lord, that we would know that we're building on the rock, the right foundation on Jesus and that, God, we have a balance. We know we live in the world, but help us not to be of the world and be focused on everything the world does. Father, help us to, to know that one day there will be a day of judgment. Father, help us to lay up our treasures in heaven, not on the earth, because that's the only ones that will last. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, just draw us closer to you. I pray for you to touch hearts and convict people this morning of your truth and your word. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Stand together to worship.